Do you know who said this? Courage is not having the strength to go on. It is going on when you don't have the strength. Who said that? He was a president of the United States. He was a president who fought in a war. No, Theodore Roosevelt. And here we're going to see in chapter 18, courage to go on. Let's, uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we can come together like this. First of all, to worship you, Lord, in fellowship, Lord, in thankfulness to you, God. We thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunities, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified. We pray, God, that you would teach us about who you are through your word. And Lord, that you would begin to do a work in us that... That shows how real you are. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless our evening tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. John chapter 18. Jesus, in chapter 17, is praying. And Peter Guano, he was, he was great to help us through that. Chapter 17. In chapter 16, he's, he's praying. In 15. And it's like... It all stops, and we come back to the narrative here, the story of where we are here. The culmination of the gospel, the climax, so to speak, of the gospel. And Jesus, being a very courageous man, which drove him to continue his holy purpose shows here that he's also God and that he's in control. Amazing, amazing chapter here. Let's, let's read it in uh, verse 1 here. When Jesus had spoken these words, he's talking about chapter 17, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who had betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That, he, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke, Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Verse 10. 
Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Verse 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And we'll stop right there. So in uh, chapter 17, he finishes praying and he's pouring out his heart for his disciples and for us. Jesus told his disciples he was going to leave, to leave them, that he was going to his death. In 17, chapter 17, verse 1, he says, the hour has come. In 16, he says, but now I go away. A time is coming. In 14, he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a, prepare a place for you. In 13, he says to Simon Peter, or Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. And then he says a little something for him to think about. He says, but you shall follow me afterward. <laughs> in 17, last week, in talking about his disciples, Look what Jesus says in chapter 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you love me from the foundation of the world. Jesus even prays that he would love it if they, his friends, the disciples, if they can come along, they can come to see him glorified. But he knows that they need to stay. And isn't that like the human side of us? You have good friends that you hang out with all the time. And here is going to be this moment where he's going to be glorified. He wants his friends to come along. I want you to see this. Look what I'm going to look what I'm going to do. Look what's going to happen. But he knows that they have to stay. But he loves them. I know that we do that too sometimes. We have things going on and we want our friends to be there. We want family to be there, to see. And same, same thing with Jesus. Well, John chapter 18, here it is. The time that Jesus spoke of all his life. It's finally here. We can compare this with Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 47, with Mark 14, starting in verse 43, with Luke 22, starting in verse 47. But each one has a different theme, have a different aspect of how they write about Jesus. Matthew says he's the king of the Jews. Mark, 
the servant of man. Luke, the son of man. And John writes about Jesus as the son of God. A definite tone in this gospel given by John. Jesus is in control as the son of God. John's gospel, continuing his portrayal of Jesus in his deity as the son of God. Being a man, 100%, and being God, 100%. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we understand this? And I don't know if we do. I don't know if I do. That's a difficult thing to understand. That he was a man, just like me, just like you. He was... He was a person, he was a being, a human being, and then he was God at the same time. Knowing from from when he was as young to understand things that he was going to die, that he was going to grow up, this was his purpose, he was going to die, and that this purpose was coming. That he knew these things as God that he knew the pain that was coming to him and that it was drawing really, really close. And he was praying for his friends. He was having his last supper. And he knew it. He knew it. And it's funny thing about the last supper, a Passover meal. I, I think you guys went over it a little bit, but I just want to mention it real quick because... Uh, Matthew 26 and Mark 14 record that they were singing a hymn, the Last Supper. And I I bring that up because I love to sing, and I know you guys love to sing. And isn't that awesome to know that Jesus is singing? Awesome. I wish I could hear. There was a a recording of of that moment to hear what his voice sounded like. You know, just amazing that he was singing. And that... uh, it's widely recognized that the Last Supper, as a Passover meal, that the, the Jews, um, they had special hymns drawn from the book of Psalm. That these hymns were known as the Hallel sim, the hymns, and consisted of Psalms 113 to 118. So it's most likely that he was singing these verses. Psalm 113, starting at chapter 113. And they end in chapter 118. So it's a long bit of chapters, but he knew how to sing this in Hebrew. And it's probably what he did. Um, These hymns are sung uh, today during the Passover. And it's also interesting because Jesus is singing about his own death. If you read some of those chapters, it's talking about the Lamb. And the sacrifice. That's him. And it's about to happen. And he's singing about himself. About to happen. That's crazy. It's a picture of Jesus. And he knows he's going to his death to be that sacrifice. So in verse 1 he says that um, he spoke these words and he went out. And um, with his disciples over the brook Kidron. I think it's interesting because he says where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. He he says it twice, that he's with his disciples. And then at the end of verse 1, he's with his disciples. And you know when things are said twice, it's important. 
Here Jesus is not alone. He doesn't want to be alone. You know, he knows what's going to happen here. He wants to be with his disciples and he was with them. Now, why does John, there are other gospels, they don't mention this, but John mentions it, the brook Kidron. Do you guys remember the brook Kidron? Why is that important? We find that it's the, in the eastern edge of Jerusalem's old city. You guys have been there. Who's been there? You guys have been there, some of you. You know, you've seen it. You've seen the Valley of Kidron or the Brook Kidron or the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It's also called. A lot of things happen here, right here on this, in this valley. The Valley of Jehoshaphat, also uh, taken, the name Jehoshaphat means God shall judge or Jehovah has judged. Historically, in this valley, you can go to Second Samuel 15 and see David crossed this brook barefoot and weeping when fleeing from Absalom, his son. Right? His son Absalom took over, stole the people and the people's heart from David. And so David had to run from his son. He was going to kill him. You know? So David had to take off. And he was over this brook. It was here at this brook, King Asa burned the obscene idols of his mother in 1 Kings chapter 15. It afterwards became the receptacle for all manner of impurities. They were throwing a lot of trash. And even to this day, you see some trash thrown down, down the valley a little bit in 2 Kings. And uh, no water runs through this uh, mountain ravine except after heavy rains in the mountains around Jerusalem. Its rocky banks today are filled with ancient tombs. I think some of you saw them too. A lot of ancient tombs along the side of the mountains now, especially the left bank opposite the temple area. The greatest desire today of the Jewish people is to be buried there. This comes from the idea that the Kidron is the valley of Jehoshaphat mentioned in Joel chapter 3 verse 2 where he says, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. Below, down the ways below in the, on the map, you see En-Rogel, the Kidron has no historical valley, value as it leaves and uh, or sacred interests as it goes down. It runs in a winding course through the wilderness of Judea to the northwestern shore and empties into the Dead Sea. Its whole length in a straight line is only some 20 miles, but in this space, its descent is 3,912 feet. So it's a climb, and it just goes down. Recent excavations have brought to light the fact that the old bed of the Kidron is about 40 feet lower than its uh, present uh, bed and about 70 feet nearer to the sanctuary wall or the wall of the temple. In Joel chapter 3, they call this valley the valley of decision because he's talking about judgment. Anyway, let's continue verse 1. If we can get out of verse 1 here. Um, there was a garden, he says. 
And we know from comparing and reading the other Gospels, we know this is the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden was a place of comfort for Jesus. As a garden is for most people, a place to pray, a place for reflection, a place of peace. You ever go into a garden and find that peacefulness in a quiet garden? Jesus often went there. He liked to go there. This makes the betrayal in the garden much worse, doesn't it? By an intimate friend. He frequently crossed the Kidron Valley. See, because if you're in the old city, the wall is here, and you empty the city, and it goes, it goes down to a valley. That's the valley of Kidron. And the Mount of Olives is on the other side. So you have to go through that valley to get to the Mount of Olives. He crossed it many times. And it's, it's not a really short walk. Yeah. In Luke 21, he says, in the, Luke 21, 37 says, And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet, which is the Mount of Olives. We have mentioned Absalom with David. Having crossed over in Psalm 49, David says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. He's talking about his friend Ahithophel. Ahithophel requested a small army in order to pursue David with the intent of killing him because he sided with David's son Absalom. And Ahithophel was a good, close friend of David. And David was betrayed by his friend. But Absalom chose to follow the advice of David's other friend, Hushai, another close friend of David, instead of Ahithophel's advice. And as a result, David's life was spared and Absalom was killed in the ensuing battle. So Ahithophel's shame was so great that he betrayed David, his friend, that he set his house in order when he went home and then he killed himself. This is starting to sound a little familiar here, what's happening. Now, I don't want to read too much into it, but perhaps you know he knew that if David was to return, he was going to get killed anyway by the king for betraying him. Or maybe, you know, it was just shame for what he did. Yeah, doesn't say. Betrayal was not a foreign experience to David. He was well acquainted with it, having walked through it most of his life. And yet, the loss of his close friend and his son, it affected him. Now, Jesus also betrayed, was betrayed by his friend. Judas. He was in ministry with him. Together. He chose him. Being God, he knew who he was. The other Gospels record how Judas approaches Jesus in the garden. He approaches him with comfort and affection. Right? He runs up to him. He says, Rabbi, Rabbi. And he kisses him being the signal for the guards. Mm. You, see, you see David in this comparison, David crossing the brook Kidron to flee from death. 
And we see Jesus crossing the book Kidron to go to his death. Later in 2 Samuel, David returns as king, crossing back across that same brook, that same valley, after the battle was over and Absalom was dead. In Zechariah 14, we see Jesus returning on Mount of Olives to cross the valley, just like David. But again, as victorious king. Verse 4 in Zechariah 14 says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Now, if you've been there and you've seen Mount Olives, it's going to be... Difficult thing for you to see that mountain split in two. You know, it's a tourist site for for thousands every month, and and to see that Mount of Olives split, be broken up. And by the way, uh, recent uh, archaeological digs or um, examination of the mountain, they have found a, a fault in right down the middle of the Mount of Olives, half of it on the south and the other half on the north side. So you see, you see it's, it's all coming into place. Acts chapter 1, verse 10 through 12 says, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. They were standing there in the Mount of Olives. He's going to come back. He's coming back. Just like the way you saw him, he's going to come back here. In verse 3, Judas received a detachment of troops and officers and chief priests and Pharisees. They came with lanterns and torches and weapons. They were ready for a fight. They had weapons. And they had light. They, they wanted the advantage of light. But they weren't sure who Jesus was. So in the dark, they, they were, there was going to be some confusion. They were ready for that. So they had Judas go right up to him. We want you to grab this guy. He says, okay, I'm going to go up to him. I'm going to kiss him. You'll know that's him. Matthew 27, verse 3, tells us that Judas was given 30 pieces of silver for the deal that he made, turning Jesus over to them. In his remorse, he brought back the silver. When he found out what happened, he brought the silver back. 
right? Maybe he wanted to return the silver and then they'll let go of Jesus. They'll say, no, 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 this is wrong. This is not working like I thought it was going to work. Here's your money back. Uh, let me have Jesus back. I don't know what he was thinking. He just, he went back to return the money. And that same book in Matthew, he says in verse 4, he says that he said to the priests, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? We don't care. It doesn't mean anything to us. You see to it. You take care of it. We're not going to worry about it. You worry about it. And in verse 5, it says that he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and he departed. And he went and hanged himself. Again, the betrayal, the proximity to the temple, the Mount of Olives, the Brook Kidron, David, Ahithophel, hanging, suicide, and then again, Judas. Look at these parallels. It's, it's wild. Zechariah chapter 11 is where you find the prophecy of the field and the 30 pieces of silver because it's prophesied there. <clears throat> so they got there with lanterns and torches. Verse 14. Amazing. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, he went forward. Now, okay, he's a man. He knows what's going to happen. He's been praying all night. He even prayed, Lord, if there's any other way, being the man he is, but being God, he knows what he has to do. He walked forward toward them. He didn't want that big crowd arresting his disciples and taking his friends and maybe even stabbing them or hurting them or killing them just to get him. He, he's a courageous man. He walked forward. He walked toward them. And knowing, it says in verse 4, knowing all things. And what does that mean? Knowing all things. I think you've heard Xavier, all means all, right? And he knows all things. He knows the pain that's going to happen. He knows how it's going to happen. He knows when it's going to happen. He knows this. It's almost like you knew the day you were going to die and you know how you're going to die. Now, if I knew that for myself, like say I knew I was going to fall off a cliff and die on October 28th, 19, whatever, or 2000, whatever, I would stay away from that cliff or whatever and I wouldn't, wouldn't go near it because you would know. Jesus knew. He knew how they were going to torture him, how they were going to beat him, and how he was going to die. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, he went forward. He went to it. And ask them, you know, basically to tell them, I'm the one you're looking for. Leave these guys alone. Right? And amazing thing happened, right? In verse 6, when he said, I am. Now, he is in italics, so uh, they, like, they like to note that they added that. 
In the original text, it says, I am. It just says, I am. Remember when he, when God spoke to Moses? Who did he say? He says, tell them, I am. So here Jesus says, I am. And what happens? To the ground. <laughs> they couldn't, it was not like they could stop themselves. You know, Moses, he had the opportunity. He goes, take off your, your shoes. You're on holy ground. He took off his feet, his shoes for his feet to touch the ground. And it was like God was saying, I am here. And you guys got your shoes on. Get to the ground. Boom. To the ground. Man, amazing. And none of the other Gospels mentions that. But here, John feels that that's important. And it is important because it shows how God, Jesus is in control here as the Son of God. I am, he said. Now, Judas, who betrayed them, also stood with them. So Judas probably fell too. He was with them. So you would think, if a man stands before you and says, I am, and you fall to the ground, you would just say, I'm all right, I'll see you later. I got to go. There's some power behind this guy. Did they do that? No. In verse 8, it says, no, no verse 6, uh, verse 7, they, he repeated, he went up to them again so that they wouldn't, maybe maybe they were going to get ready to take off. He says, no, 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 who are you looking for? That's me. Because I told you, I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these guys go. He's caring about his friends. Let them go. Don't worry about them. You want me. Here I am. I wonder if he says, in verse 8, he said, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. I wonder if when, when he said, I am he, they went, oh. Oh, we're okay. All right. In verse 9, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. He didn't lose any of his disciples. Now Judas, we know that he betrayed him, so I'm not talking about him. Verse 10, Simon Peter and all the Gospels re- record this. Having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. If we go to Matthew 26, if we go to Mark 14... If you go to Luke 22, it tells you one of them, one of them, they, they felt they were being, I don't know, polite. They didn't want to, you know, rat out on Peter and say, you know, it was just one of the disciples. But John just spelled it right out. Now, Peter was the one. He grabbed his sword. And it says in the other Gospels that he just chopped off the servant's ear. It didn't even tell you who he was. John felt it was important. No, this was, the servant's name was Malchus. We know this guy. His name is Malchus. And we know Peter. This is a guy, he grabbed his sword and he cut off his right ear. Now he was a fisherman. So it was a good thing. He couldn't, uh, he wasn't well trained in his sword. He probably would have killed the guy. Probably would have chopped off his head. 
in um, in Luke chapter 22, verse 51, it says that Jesus healed the servant whose ear was cut off. And Luke doesn't mention his name, but we know here it's Malchus. So not only that Peter goes up, chops off this guy's ear, and Jesus you know, stops them. And compared with the other gospels, you see Jesus says, no, 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 this is not how it's going to happen. He's in control here still. Because this is not how this is going to happen. He, he picks up the ear and heals him. Now, okay, so you're in this crowd now and you're coming to arrest Jesus. He says two words, you fall to the ground. That's one good reason to take off running. Okay, now this guy gets his ear chopped off. There's probably blood everywhere. Jesus picks up the ear and puts it on good as new. You're still going to arrest this guy? Wow. Uh, you know, maybe some people left. I don't know. Maybe some guys went running. Now, not me. I'm not going to deal with this guy. Wild. So, in verse 11, Jesus said to Peter, put away your sword. He says, shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? And he was praying that all in chapter 17 and chapter 16. Shall I not drink this? No, he, he's, he's going forward. And it says in the other Gospels, this is the point where they all ran off. His disciples, his friends, they left him. They ran off. John doesn't Record that here. Verse 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews. Crazy as they are, they arrested Jesus. And they bound him. They tied him up. They don't want him doing any miracles or any power. They tied up his hands. He was in a garden praying. Really? You got to tie this guy up? They bound him. Verse 13. Verse 12 through 14 uh, talks about um, Annas and Caiaphas. These two high priests are mentioned again and again during Jesus' public ministry. Annas and Caiaphas. Now, Annas had been the high priest from A.D. 6 to 15. And the Romans had removed him from office. He was the older one. Uh, yet he still wielded considerable power behind the scenes. This guy was very rich. And he had a lot of power. So even though the Romans removed him, the Jewish priest still went to him. They said, you know, because they didn't respect the Jews, I mean the Romans and their authority, even though the Romans removed Annas, that was, that was still their guy. And um, he also had five sons who succeeded him in as high priests. He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. So these two are related. 
Caiaphas is his son-in-law, obviously, and uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, he was the one who took office at the time of Jesus' ministry. Annas is still called the high priest, even though he was not serving in that capacity at the time. So here this family, corruption is taken over the church. And these guys with money and power are holding on to the temple. And these are the guys that Jesus is going to face. But remember, Jesus knew all things, knowing all things. He knew he was going to face these guys. He knew who they were. He knew the tables he turned over and got those guys really upset because that was their money that they were making. And now he has to face them, and he's going to face them. So Jesus was brought to Annas first, right? Because he's the older one. He's the one who's really in charge behind the scenes, the shadow government leader. We want to take him to him first, to to Annas. They led him away, in verse 13, to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. The obvious power is it's it's embarrassing, you know. Because you could see that in our government, you could see that in politics, the power that takes place, the power of money, the power of position. And they had their position. And everybody else was afraid of them. I mean they had temple guards and officers. They had you know, people armed, soldiers armed for the temple. Why do you need soldiers armed for the temple? Money, gold, silver, money. I mean, you got to protect what you have. So Caiaphas was the ruling high priest at the time because Annas was removed by the Romans. Now Caiaphas, he predicted Jesus' death. He said it was, he predicted the necessity of the death of Jesus, his necessity. Uh, John 11, 49 through 53 says, And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, he's talking to the other high priests, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Verse 51 of John 11. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Wow, this is Caiaphas, the corrupt high priest. God is using him in a prophecy. Would God do that? Yeah, look, he's doing it. Using corrupt officials for his purpose. Wow. In verse 53 of John 11, it says, uh, verse 52, and not that the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one 
the children of God who were scattered abroad. So, in verse 53, then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. God would use the actions and the position of a corrupt official to get his purposes done. Amazing. That these two men who were controlling the religious center of Jerusalem and the Jewish nation, nation, that they were drunk with power. Wild. Now the garden, if I can go back there real quick. I wanted to mention something here. Let me go back. Um, Where are we? In verse 47 of Luke 22. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude... And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And so the betrayal in the garden, that's what we're talking about tonight. When you're in comfort and you're in your comfortable spot and when you're at peace, the enemy is going to come. He knows how to find you. And the betrayal will be there. And for us, Jesus' concern, for us as it was for his disciples, leave them alone. Even though he knows he's going to die, he's thinking about us. Even though he knows the danger that is facing him right here, he's thinking about his loved ones, his friends. Let them go. Jesus is always making intercession for us. He is always remembering us. He is pouring out his heart for his disciples and he is pouring out his heart for us. He knows all, right? That's what it says. Knowing all, he knows all, which means he knows you. He knows what you're going through. He knows everything that you're facing. He knows the difficulty at work. He knows the difficulty with your family members. He knows the difficulties you're having with your friends. He knows the betrayals that are in your life. And betrayals are difficult to handle. I've had a, a, a betrayal in my life, very difficult thing, from a close friend. And it took me years to find forgiveness for this person. And I didn't hate this person, but man, it leaves a dent in your heart for a long, long time. 
And if you allow it, it becomes part of your personality where you can be bitter, where you could allow sin to enter in your life, you know, for excuses or for whatever reason you allow sin into your life. But because of betrayal. And these are things Jesus is saying. He's turning to us. He's saying, have courage. He went forward for us. So he knew his time was coming. He didn't run from it. But it it was here. It was now. And sometimes I, f- I feel these things like um, a nervousness. Like when I have to come up here and lead worship or in the sanctuary. We practice. We rehearse. You, you learn what the parts that you need to learn. And then you sit in that back room over there waiting to come out to the sanctuary. And you watch the time. Because you've got to come out right on time. And so you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then that time comes. And I don't know about the rest of them, but man, my heart starts pumping. That time is here. Okay, now is that time. All I practice, all, I'm gonna, we, we have to get out there. We have to move forward. And we've got to do this. And I get a little nervous still. As I'm sure the rest of everybody gets nervous still. Because when you anticipate, anticipate, and you know what's going to happen, the time comes and you go, okay, now is the time. I've got to move forward. I've got to put one foot in front of the other and move forward. And that's the thing that we have to do in our life with Christ as we begin to move forward in our born-again life. We got to move forward. The time is now. No more waiting for sin to, you know what, I'll get over that or I'll stop doing that in a little while. No, now, now is the time. Get nervous and go now. Have the courage and do it. I mean, I pick up phone calls and I, I pray with people over the phone during the week. And there's a lot of people hurting out there. And I didn't realize it really till I came on staff here and I had to pray with these people. Most of these people don't even come to this church. But they heard that Calvary Chapel Pasadena will pray for you over the phone. And so we as pastors, we pick up the phone and I, I, some of these people I've never met before, and I don't know if I ever will, but I'm praying for them. And then I pray for them on the phone. And they're hurting, and I have to encourage them. You need to walk with the Lord. You need to walk forward in your walk. Have the courage. Leave that sin behind. And some situations, they're, they're, just, they're just real bad situations, and there's nothing you could do. But just pray for them. I just pray. You know, the, the only thing I can do, I don't, I don't have money to give you. I don't have a house to give you. I don't have a car. I don't have gas to give you. I don't have money to give you. But let me pray for you. And Jesus was doing that right there in the garden. He's praying for them. Praying for his disciples. I can't. I can't give you the courage, but let me pray for you that you will have the courage. You will have it. And you will walk. This, this chapter, just uh, I love it. I, I, 
I read it over and over and over again for the longest time because I, I knew months in advance I was going to be on this chapter. And um, I only have verses 1 through 14. And I'm going, uh, what am I going to say? But I just read it over and over again. It just blew me away how much Jesus' love, it just, it just blew me away. Anyway, that's all I have for you. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your word. and Lord, that you, you speak to us, Lord. And you teach us about who you are. Father, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us, Lord, in a real way. Lord, that we could live our lives for you and know the power that you as God have right now that we could trust in you, rely on you. Know, Father, that you would provide for us, that you are faithful. And Lord, to know the man that you were here on earth and the courage that you had to move forward and face the danger as you knew it. Lord, that we know the danger that, if, that we face, Lord, when we stand for you. Lord, when we leave the sin behind and we walk uprightly with you. I pray, Father, that we could have the courage. Lord, forgive us for our sin. Cleanse our hearts, Lord. If there's anyone here who would like to open their heart to the Lord, ask him to come in, to be born again, In John chapter 3, he says, you must be born again. To enter, you must be born again. So I pray that you'll have the courage to do that. Lord, I pray, God, that if there's anyone here who would like to commit their lives to you, Lord, that they would give their lives fully unto you. And so we thank you for this church. We thank you for your faithfulness to this ministry. And Lord, your goodness toward us. You're so good. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.